the greater prophet. He's the very word of God. He's the divine logos. He speaks and it's God. God is speaking as Jesus Christ walks on this earth. Why? Because he's God. And Samuel was a priest. Jesus was the greater priest. He's the great high priest. He was not sinful, unlike every other priest in the Old Testament. And his sacrifice was better because it was his own perfect body. Christ is the better priest, prophet, and king. And so sorry, not sorry. I just can't help myself. The Bible screams, I am about Jesus. That's what it screams. And so the last thing about this book, it was originally one book in the Hebrew text. So we, we have it split, First and Second Samuel. Uh, it's split, uh, spoiler alert, after the death of Saul. Oh, man. Sorry. Spoiler alert. And then you get uh, a focus on David in 2 Samuel. Here are your major sections. So title, Samuel, written after or named after the prophet, priest, judge, Samuel. Here are your major sections. There are six major sections. Section number one is 1 Samuel 1, 1 through 7, and it is the story of Samuel. You will find it's the story of, story of, story of, with one exception. In chapter 4 through 7 of 1 Samuel 1, okay, 1 Samuel uh, chapters 4 through 7, that is the story of the ark and what happens there. In chapter 8, the people want a king so what you have in chapter 8 is the rights of kings. So that's 1 Samuel 8, section 3, the rights of kings. This is how kings should live. Fourth section, chapters 9 to 15 in 1 Samuel, it's the story of Saul. Story of Saul, S-A-U-L. So story of Samuel, story of the ark, the rights of kings, the story of Saul. Then... Section number five, chapters 16 to 31, the end of 1 Samuel, is the story of Saul and David. Because you will see them kind of mesh against each other all the way through from 16 to 31. And that's the major story arc of 1 Samuel at the tail end is this battle, as it were, between David and Saul. And then finally, this one's easy. It's the entire book of 2 Samuel. It's the story of David. So 2 Samuel chapter 1 through uh, chapter 22, that's the story of David. So story of Samuel, chapters 1 through 7. Story of the ark, chapters 4 through 7. Those kind of intersperse, intermingle there. The rights of kings, chapter 8. The story of Saul, chapters 9 through 15. The story of Saul and David, 16 to 31. The story of David, 2 Samuel, all of it. Chapters 1 through 22, if you want to be precise. Your genre, your literary genre. I said story, 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 five times. It is a narrative. This is an Old Testament narrative. That's what this is. So that's your genre. You will hear lots and lots and lots of good stories with great 
characters. Themes. <laughs> I have four. This is a huge book, folks. I'm sorry. This is huge. Four. Four themes. And you don't have to write them verbatim. Just try to paraphrase as best as you possibly can if you're taking notes. Number one, the king of all kings will establish the throne of David over Saul. So God chooses David over Saul. God then establishes Zion, which is Jerusalem, as the capital city, as the holy city. So you have the greater Saul, which is David. And then, because again, I can't help myself, Matthew's gospel tells us that Jesus is actually the greater David. And he comes as the very son of David, the son of Abraham, the son of God, the king of the world. There you are. All right, I just can't help myself. Two major events. It's part of the theme. Two major events. Number one, the establishment of the monarchy in Israel. Up until that point, it was a theocracy. God was in charge. And then Joshua died. And then it all went crazy. You had the period of the judges, which were like our governors. If you want to think of it that way, it's more regional. And now finally, they asked for a king to unite them, uh, really to go fight our battles. That's the sinful reason why. So event number one, the establishment of the monarchy and Two major event, event number two in 1 Samuel, the preparation of David to sit on the throne. Establishment of the monarchy, establishment or preparation of David. Third theme, the king is to be subject to the word of God. This is your banner. This is your hope, O king. Kings must obey the word of God. Kings must lead people toward God. Duh! And again, because I cannot help myself, Jesus Christ was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Fourth theme, transitions, transitions. And you will see a lot of this. We start 1 Samuel with Eli as the priest. We go from Eli to Samuel, the judge and priest and prophet. We go from Samuel to Saul. We go from Saul eventually to David. So what we will see in this book, in 1 Samuel, is David is anointed to be king in 1 Samuel 16. He does not become king until 2 Samuel, chapter 5. So we never see David as king. He, we never get the, the, the payoff. We never get the covenant with David. We, we just don't, okay? That's for you to read. That's 2 Samuel 5, that's 2 Samuel 7. We just don't have the time. All right, there we go. Here's my word of warning for us. And you need to watch this as hearers, okay? I don't know everyone that is coming up here, 
okay? Most of them will be great. Maybe we'll have a stinker or two. I don't know. Here's the word of warning. Old Testament narratives are tricky. And they can be used to manipulate you. They can be used to manipulate you into a couple of things. Number one, do better, try harder. Use this guy as an example, try to live like that guy. And then you find yourself overwhelmed with the impossibility of living like that. That's example number one. That's, that's warning number one. Warning number two is we just twist the entire thing all together and now you're the hero. You're David. You're Saul. You're whoever. You are the hero of the story. You're not the hero of the story. I hate to tell you that. The Bible's not about you. Got it? The Bible's not about you. First Samuel is not about you. Sorry to burst your bubble. On the first chapel of the year, the Bible is about Jesus. It is not about you. Here's what the Bible is about. In, in essence, it shows our rebellion and our need for a Savior. That's the Old Testament. And then it shows the incredible faithfulness of God. How good is God? How good is he? We don't deserve the least of his gifts, and he just showers them upon us. Are you kidding me? This is our God. This is who we worship. David Murray has a great commentary about the Old Testament. I quoted it before. Jesus is on every page. Look there. Look there. Alistair Begg preached through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel in the first couple of chapters of Kings. And he always talked about the pivot. The pivot. Look for the pivot. How does this relate to Christ? Look for that. Even if the preacher doesn't mention it, look for it. Christ on every page. Christ in every story. Christ, 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 Christ. Another text I want us to look at. As we think about 1 Samuel, Romans chapter 15, verse 4. You don't have to flip there. Romans 15, verse 4, I'll just read it. It says this, Paul writing, says, For whatever was written in former days, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That, through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So, 1 Samuel, why is it written? We have it so that we might be instructed. It is written so that we might endure. You're going to watch David fleeing for his life, hiding in caves, all over the place, being chased by the king. That might help you endure. And it's meant ultimately to encourage us that we might have hope. Oh, we need some hope in this world. I mean, we have hope, but we need hope, hope. And we have Anna hope. We, we got some hopes here, but we need hope. Final thought. Not, not part of the warning, but just a thought. In a way similar to the way that we did Mark last year, where it was just really quick, 
our tour through 1 Samuel is going to go at lightning speed. It's 31 chapters, and we have approximately 15 chapels to go through 31 chapters. It's a lot. Needless to say, please hear this. You know me. I'm hermeneutics guy. I'm exegesis guy. Let's look at every word. Let's look even at the commas. Let's look at everything. You're not going to get that. Don't expect that. Please don't expect that. Okay? Don't expect verse-by-verse exegesis. If, if that's what you expect and that's what everyone did for three chapters, number one, you would all, your brains would explode. Number two, you'd all fall asleep. And number three, we would miss lunch because we'd be here until 3 p.m. Okay? So give the guys up here a little bit of grace if they just land on a couple of verses and just pour into that or paraphrases we're going to do in chapter one. All right? We're not going to read every verse of our text today because we have, what, a lot. We have 39 verses. I just can't do it. I can't do it. If you want a different way of putting it, we're at State. We're at Burke. It's the 3200, and Hannah Swanson is leading the pack. And we got to keep up with that pace. All right? Got it? Long trip, quick time, keep up, ready, go. That's 1 Samuel. Now, with all that as introduction to the book, I want you to do one thing for me. Write the word theme and then give yourself some space. Theme, space, and then we'll go to chapter one. Theme, space, chapter one. All right, chapter one. Here's the heading for chapter one. The birth of Samuel. The birth of Samuel. Chapter one is all about the birth of Samuel. We meet many important characters in this chapter as well. So I'm going to try to point out the important ones there. In verses one and two, as we look at it, there we are introduced to a certain man of Ramathiam Zophim, His name is Elkanah. His name is Elkanah. He had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. And then look at the tail end of verse 2 if you have your Bibles. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. By the way, God's plan has always been one man, one woman, for life, one man, one woman. Not one man and a bunch of women. Every time, every time you see in the Old Testament where you have polygamy, many wives, bigamy, two wives, there's always trouble. Always. Always, always, always trouble. I don't have time at all to delve into that deeper. You know where my room is. I I don't hide Unless I'm writing the sermon, then I hide. Uh, but you know where to find me. So let's set the stage here. Here's our problem. Hannah is barren, meaning she can't have children. She's a barren woman. 
And the other wife, she has children, plural. So we have Hannah, who can't have kids, and then you have this Peninnah, probably the second wife, because Hannah couldn't have kids. That's just the guess. She has multiple children. And so I want you to put yourself in Hannah's shoes. Imagine the pain. All I want is a child. And this woman over there doesn't just have a child. She's got bucket loads of them. She's got children and children and children and children. I just want one. There's your problem. And we will also see Penina isn't kind about this at all. She's a complete wretch in this entire thing, thus making Hannah's problem worse. In verse 3, Elkanah would take his wives and go and worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts every single year. This was in addition to the three mandated feasts that are there for you in Leviticus that, that you would have to go to as well. Here's the observation. Elkanah is a godly man. He is a godly man. He worships the Lord. He desires to serve him. Application. Men. 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 There is nothing more godly or manly than a man who serves the Lord. Nothing. Nothing. I don't care if you can wrestle a bear. There is nothing more manly than a man who worships God, who wakes up early to read the Bible, who spends his time and his life trying to get others to love God also. Gentlemen, I saw this on Tuesday, yesterday, and I just need to call this out. We were singing, How Great Thou Art. And I'm looking around the hallway, and I watched as some of you gentlemen, boys, were cutting jokes and smiling and giggling and just having a good old fun time out there. I probably should have made a scene then. I'll just make the scene now. Men? Nothing is more glorious than a room full of men singing to their Lord and Savior. Nothing. Nothing. There is nothing more glorious than men who lead in godliness and who lead in the word. Nothing. Nothing more manly. Men, one day you will be husbands and you will be fathers. Your wife and your children need you desperately desperately to be godly men. We are in a world full of ungodly men. That's normal. We are in a world full of unrighteous men. That's normal. Oh, men of NC, be men that your children can look up to. Be men that when your children or your wife walks down the stairs, she catches you. Not playing video games, not looking at inappropriate stuff in the computer, but they catch you praying. They catch you pouring over the word of God. That is what we need in this world. They need you at church 
singing, belting it as loud as you possibly can. I don't care how you sound. Make a joyful what, Mr. Flynn? Noise to the Lord. I don't sing on key. Where's your heart? I don't care. Sing to him. Gentlemen, be men where when the sermon is going, your children look down the aisle at you and they see you listening and taking notes and checking to make sure that what is being said is actually here. That's what they need. Stop it, men, with these games. Got it? By contrast to Elkanah, we will see two other names in verse 3. The two sons of Eli. Eli we will meet again in verse 9, and you will meet him later as well. Hophni and Phinehas. These are worthless men. Hophni and Phinehas are worthless. They are priests, and they are worthless. They were wretched pukes. And we will see what God does with priests who are corrupt. And you will see it in its epic. Verse 4. Elkanah would sacrifice and then give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and note this, to all her sons and daughters. So Peninnah had children. She had a lot of them. And so what we have here is Baron Hannah, the barren woman who cannot have kids but desires to have them. And then you have a woman who is having tons of babies. And in verse 5, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her. I let... I really enjoy Elkanah. Elkanah is my favorite character. <laughs> I love this man. Elkanah, uh, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Elkanah is a good man. He looks after his barren wife. You need to know this. To not have children in that culture, that was seen as a curse. You were cursed by God if you could not have children. That's how people viewed that. And so here's Hannah desperately trying to have kids. And then note this in verse 5. It is the Lord who closed her womb. It's the Lord who did it. And then as you look at verses 6 and 7, Peninnah provokes Hannah to irritate her. Gee, thanks. Peninnah is making fun of the fact that Hannah has no children. In verse 6, she provoked Hannah grievously to irritate her. That's what it says. In verse 7, we see that this happens year after year. As often as they would go to Shiloh for the sacrifices with godly Elkanah, Peninnah would provoke Hannah. And the verse closes, verse 7, with weeping Hannah, who is so overcome with her sorrow that she cannot even eat. Can I just make a quick application for us here at NC? We don't have rivals, rivalries here based on who's having kids and who's not. 
that whole business before you're married is a sin, so stop it. Repent of it if you're engaging in that. But may I ask you a question? As we look at verses 5 and 6, we know that the Lord closed Hannah's womb, and alternatively, we may be able also to say that the Lord opened Peninnah's womb. Bottom line is this. All we have is a gift from God. I'm getting to this question. All we have is a gift. Everything, any ability, from Peninnah's ability to have children to any ability showcased on this side of the net last night to any ability that will be showcased tomorrow in St. Paul to any ability that will be showcased on Friday night under the lights. All of it is a gift from God. Seniors, getting into your dream college, getting that sweet job out of high school, gift, 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 gift. Students, here's my question. Do you make fun of others because they're not as gifted as you are? They're not as smart as you? Someone to mock? They're not as able to play guitar, so I'm going to mock? You can't sing as well as I do, so I will mock? You're not as athletically good as I am? You, you run so hard? Why don't you run right? And we mock, and we mock, and we mock. Are you like that? Are you a rivalry starter? Do you lord your gifts over people? Do you make much of yourself at the expense of others? Remember this. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And we will see that play out all over the place in 1 Samuel. Here are the facts, Jack. The Bible, in the Bible, the name Peninnah appears twice. That's it. Then we see, after verse 7, she never appears again. She is gone. Her gaggle of girls, gone. Bevy of boys, gone. It doesn't matter. They don't even show up again. And so in terms of the history of redemption and in terms of what God was doing at that time in that place, she is dust on the scales. She was there and she is gone. But who remains? Hannah. Hannah remains. And who else remains? Her son that she hasn't even had yet. Her son is going to anoint the first two kings of Israel. And oh, by the way, her song in chapter two remains with us today. All of this vital in the history of redemption. All of this is. And so for you, application, if you are truly suffering, take heart. Take heart. Now, if you're suffering because you're, you're being stupid, 
Don't take heart. You're being stupid. Stop being stupid. Don't be dumb. I pulled her hair and she smacked me. Oh, I'm being persecuted. No, you're being dumb. Don't be dumb. But if you are truly suffering, righteously, take heart. Take heart. The Lord opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Don't look at what is seen. Look at the unseen. Look to Jesus. Verse 8. Just precious Elkanah. I just love this guy. Looks at Hannah. Baron Hannah. Am I not, am I not worth more to you than ten sons? <laughs> oh, Hannah, I love you, girl. Isn't my love enough for you? I just like him. Okay, let's speed this up a little bit. Verses 9 through 18. Eli the priest is beside the doorpost at the temple. He is in the place of honor. And Hannah is there in the temple praying to the Lord in her distress. And she is weeping bitterly. And in verse 11, she asks the Lord of hosts to look upon her affliction and to remember her and to give her a son. And if he did... She would loan him back to the Lord. She would give him back to him. And in verses 12 through 14, Eli looks at Hannah, only her lips are moving, and he mistakens her for being a drunk woman and castigates her. In verses 15 and 16, Hannah replies, I'm not drunk. And then I love this. I am troubled in spirit. I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And in verse 17, Eli blesses her. And in verse 18, Hannah finally eats and her face is not sad. Some observations. Number one, instead of running from God, where does Hannah go in her distress? She runs to God. And what does she do? She prays in her distress. Verse 10 in her wept bitterly, verse 10, in her troubled in spirit, verse 15, in her great anxiety and vexation, verse 16. And see, here's an application for you. Cast all of your anxieties, all of your cares upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything. Everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God. Oh, let that wash over you and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How's your prayer life? How's your anxiety life? Soul, are you weary and troubled? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Oh, and see, that we would be a praying people. A praying people. That we would be a praying school. That we would be known as those who run to the God who is breaking them. 
run to the God who is breaking you. It was the Lord who made her barren. Where does she run to? The Lord. The Lord was crushing this woman. And where does she run to? The one who was crushing her. Why? Because he's the only help. Run to the one who is breaking you. Run to the one who is crushing you. Don't run away. Where are you going to go? To whom will you turn? God, Christ has the words of eternal life. That's your hope. Behold your God in your joy and in your pain, in your highs and in your lows. When all is well and when all is a mess. Think of an old hymn by a woman named Ann Steele. It's called Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul. Here's verse 1. <clears throat> Dear refuge of my weary soul, on thee when sorrows rise, on thee when waves of trouble roll, my fainting hope relies. Second verse. But oh, when gloomy doubts prevail, I fear to call you mine. The springs of comfort seem to fail and all my hopes decline. Yet gracious God, where shall I flee? Thou art my only trust and still my soul would cleave. I'm going to hold on to you, cleave to thee, though prostrate on the floor in the dust. Can you say stuff like that to God? Are you afraid to? Lord, I have a fainting hope. I have gloomy doubts that are prevailing. Lord, my hopes are declining. Do you speak to God like that? Look, I love songs when we are happy. It's a joy to sing. But that is not the case for everyone in this room. There are some people dealing with some stuff. There are some people clinging to the refuge of their soul and their hopes are declining. They're fainting. Gloomy doubts are prevailing. I dare to call thee mine. I fear I am not in Christ. I can't even call you my own. Look at Hannah. Distress, weeping, troubled in spirit, great anxiety, vexation. Think she had some doubts? Think she had some struggles with unbelief? Have some doubts? Have some unbelief. ONC, do you have these? Have some fainting hope in your dear refuge. You are not alone. But hold fast to Christ. Verses 19 and 20. The Lord remembered Hannah, and Hannah conceived. <laughs> yes, yes. She gave birth to a son, Samuel. I have asked for him from the Lord, or name of God, offspring of God. This is the child of God. What a blessing. Samuel. We've seen this elsewhere in the Bible. The barren woman is given a child. We see this motif. Abraham and Sarah are given Isaac, the child of laughter, one of the patriarchs. Isaac and Rebekah, she is barren. She has twins, Jacob and Esau. 
Jacob and Rachel. Rachel, the one that Jacob loved. Rachel becomes barren. Jacob and Rachel have Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph saves the people of Israel. Manoah and his wife have Samson. And in the New Testament, seniors, you just heard about this in personal finance, Zechariah and Elizabeth have John the Baptist. Every single child, every single time you have world-changing children, isn't God good? Isn't God good? And as we close the chapter, Hannah and Elkanah bring Samuel and Eli, or sorry, Samuel to Eli, and in verse 28, they loan Samuel to the Lord. And as we get to the second chapter, we have Hannah's song, which we will look at, make observations, application, we'll close with the verse that I want to put before you as the theme of first and second Samuel. So the heading is chapter two, Hannah's song. And we're not going to read it. We don't, sorry, I've gone long already. We're not going to read it. Read it on your own. Here are some observations about the song. Her prayer is a song. It is a jubilant song of praise. It's a song of celebration. This is a joyful song. This is a glorious song. This is an awesome song. It's a song of thanksgiving. We have walked with Hannah in the mire and the dust. And we're now with her on the mountaintop. In the mire and in the dust, what did she do? She prayed to God. And on the mountaintop, what did she do? She praises him. Oh, he is worthy. He is so worthy. First Samuel begins, sort of, with a song by Hannah in chapter 2. In 2 Samuel chapter, uh, oh no, uh, I think it's 20, um, you have a song of David that bookends 2 Samuel. Okay? So from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, remember it was one, you have a song of praise, and at the end, a song of praise. All the way through, bookends, song of praise, song of praise. Themes of the song. Number uh, one, God is sovereign. That is worth praising. That's verses two and three and six through ten. He is sovereign over who lives and who dies. He is sovereign, sorry, he honors some and he puts down others. God does all things according to his holy will and his good pleasure, and that's okay. That's actually better than us thinking we're in charge. I make a lousy sovereign. Third, or second, sorry. God reverses the plight of humans. He reverses the plight. He humbles the proud. He lifts up the humble. He takes care of the barren, the poor, the needy, and the feeble. That is your God. Behold your God. Third, God is our rock, verse 2. He is our strength. He is our security. Uh, the plight of humans, sorry, is verses 4 and 5 and verse 8, if you want to look. And sixth and finally, and focus in here, this is key. S- or fourth and finally, sorry, fourth and finally. God will establish a king. This is verse 10. A king, an anointed king, a Messiah king, a savior king. Her son Samuel, 
Hannah's son, will anoint the first two kings of Israel. They are not the fulfillment of verse 10. Saul's a good king. No, Saul's a lousy king. Saul's a lousy king. David's a great king. Oh, but there's a greater king. There is a greater king that is greater than David. Remember, Jesus on every page, Christ is the greater David. He is the greater king. Christ is the greater everything. And then finally, fifthly, the similarities between this song by Hannah and the Magnificat in Luke 1 by Mary are staggering. Application, ladies, ladies. I just wore out the men a couple minutes ago. Ladies, note this. Both women, Hannah and Mary, are steeped in Scripture. They know the word of God. They know their God. Ladies, let that be a model for you. Titus two women are supposed to train the younger women. What are you going to train her with? Hey, look at this TikTok. Hey, look at this Instagram person. Look at this personality. Look at this influencer. Or, thus saith the Lord. Uh oh. Thus saith the Lord. This is what the God of the universe says. Who cares what TikTok says? Ladies, both of these women, Hannah and Mary, exalted the Lord, rejoiced in their Savior. Ladies, never, ever, ever underestimate what God can do with a faithful woman. A faithful woman who loves God with her whole heart commits herself to passionately and faithfully serving Him. The hallways of church history are filled with such stories of faithfulness. May each of you be counted among them. We're almost done. Thank you for your patience. Let's close out with chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Remember I had you write theme and leave a little room? We're going to fill in that room. So flip back in your notebook. Here's our situation. Here's our context. Samuel has been born. Elkanah and his house went to offer the sacrifices every year to Shiloh. Hannah went up later because Samuel needed to be weaned. And in verse 22, she was going to bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. And then here comes verse 23. Focus in. Elkanah. To his wife. Do what seems best to you. Focus in. Only may the Lord establish his word. That's your theme. Only May the Lord establish his word. Only, just this one thing, the most important thing, may the Lord establish his word. That's the theme. That's the thread. I hope we pull all the way through 1 Samuel. May the Lord establish his word. And I want to just give you a feel 
in case the theme doesn't come out because we have different speakers who don't listen to the first sermon. Chapter 3, verse 1, And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no vision. By the end of that chapter, verse 21, chapter 3, the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 1, very next verse. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Why? For Samuel spoke from God. And so now all of a sudden what you get is this boom, explosion of the word of God. It's coming. It's here. Yes. May the Lord establish his word. How is he going to do it? Samuel. Oh, this is epic. This is glorious. Despite the faithlessness of the people, God establishes a king. King Saul in chapter 9. And when Saul goes rogue, Samuel comes and he anoints David in chapter 16 as king. David is going to become king. And then what you watch is the Lord will spare David time and time and time again. Goliath, nah, no worries there. Saul, nah, no worries there. Philistines, nah, no worries there. None shall stand before the king. Why? Because God said he's going to be king. David is bulletproof. Absolutely bulletproof. Why? May the Lord establish his word. His word is true. Who cares? So what? I'll close with this. Know this. God is faithful. He is faithful. What he has promised to do, he will do. He will do. And because God's word is true, and what God says will happen always happens, that is why we have hope. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age, says Jesus. Jesus also says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And he who comes to me, I will never cast out. I will raise it up on the last day. I will lose nothing of what was given to me. There's your hope. The word of God. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So as we trace out 1 Samuel, may God reveal to you his abounding faithfulness and may you come running to him, he who is the truth. Only may the Lord establish his word. Let's pray. Lord God, that's my prayer. Only may the Lord establish his word in each and every heart, in each and every chapel service that we have, in each and every Bible class, in each and every class. May the Lord establish his word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Mr. Zane.